This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. Today's guest on Who's That Star is someone that I like a lot. She has helped me on my journey here at LCC. She has went above and beyond as a co-worker and friend. This star began her career as a student employee in 2007. She graduated from LCC and transferred over to our university center and earned a bachelor's degree in business management. She's worked in many areas at LCC and now is a coordinator in the student service area. She grew up in the Lansing area and is a graduate of Holt High School. Are you ready to meet today's star? Today's star is Ashley Stokes. Welcome, Ashley. I'm so glad you could come on Who's That Star today. I'm glad, too. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, let's get started, Ashley. I know you started here at LCC as a student employee. I just did a show with some student employees a couple of weeks ago, and they make a big impact on our campus. What was your role when you were a student employee? I worked for the Business and Community Institute, and I registered students or employees in non-credit classes that we put on from the Business and, um, Business and Community Institute. And how many? How long did you stay in that role? Like, were you there your whole student life here, or did yes, you... I was. And I moved to part time. They made a part time position for me right about the time that I moved over to the university center and started to attend um, classes at Northwood. They made a part time position for me, and I pretty much almost did the same thing that I was doing as a student, just a little bit more responsibility. Oh, okay. Did you leave LCC and come back after you graduated or did you like after you graduated from Northwood or did you just? Nope. I stayed right here at LCC. I stayed at the business and they also, I um, got a position as a, in a grant processing paperwork. And then um, when the grant was about three years, so about two years into the grant, I came over to student affairs and worked for, um, Career and Employment Services. <laughs> I know, <Yeah. laughs> but I know, right? You did. You had one of those jobs where you were in career and employment services, but you also worked heavily with academic advising. Yeah, pretty much almost immediately after I moved over to Career and Employment Services, that's when we um, did that reorg, mm-hmm. and 
I my role completely changed and I did um, more like supportive for the associate dean and helped organize the department. Yes, you did. You really you kept us on our toes, yeah. but you also did a really good job, you know, of keeping stuff on point and you helped me, you know, I talk about it in the beginning, you know, what a good coworker and friend you were, but I know during the pandemic you and Becca got me technology ready, right? I didn't know what I was doing. Right, yep. We we wanted to make sure you were ready to go. So if they told us it was time to leave, we <laughs> you were ready and we didn't have to wait on you. Right, yes. And I knew that. You said if you can get Lisa up to par and ready to go, we can do this. Yep. And and that's something that you guys both did. And I always appreciated that. And I, you know, I thank you. So you're welcome. Now, what do you do here at the college? So right now, I am the coordinator of the Adult Resource Center, and the Adult Resource Center is just me and one other person. And in that um, center, we help court or we help award students grants. We have a special populations grant, which students who are in occupational programs and occupational programs can be anything from like nursing all the way to uh, accounting. So there's a big variety of different. Um, occupational programs and what we can help do is as long as they fit into one of our eight categories then we can help them um, pay for any remaining tuition that they might have like an extra or like a balance if they have financial aid and it doesn't cover everything um, then that's when we can step in or if they don't have financial aid then we can help pay for their tuition Sometimes we pay for all of the tuition. Sometimes we can only pay for part of it. Just kind of all depends. And then um, we also have a child care grant, and that's open to all students who um, have children who are their children go to a licensed child care provider. And basically what we do is we help pay for child care while the student is in class. And then we also try to add in a little buffer time for studying. So if the student... Um, has like a couple hours that they need to study. We try to um, accommodate that as well. Oh, wow. So you're giving away money. I, we are giving away money. Oh, okay. Well, I got to give an applause for that. Well, I love for somebody to give some money away. We had Jim in here, and now you're giving money away for child care grants and special populations. Yep. And so people can find out more information about going on the website? Yes. And um, the two applications are um, on our website. We have them for each semester. So right now um, we're taking fall applications. And then right about the time that spring registration opens, we'll open up the registration or the application for spring. Students only do have to apply once as long as they turn in all of their paperwork and um, check their student email to make sure they've turned in all of their paperwork. And then once they get to the point where they've met with me, then they do not have to apply again um, for the remaining semesters. Their application is good for the academic calendar year. Oh, so they can continue to get these grants, like as long as they meet the requirement, and then they can yes, just yep. continue to go and not the hassle of having to reapply Correct. and all that. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Yes. I think that's a, a, a great thing that we do. And so is the the majority of your job is in is to manage these grants. Correct. Make sure that you give out the monies for these grants and then paperwork and all of that. Yes. And then we also do have a um, adult resource center slash student life um, 
area that is located in the back of the star zone on the second floor of the Gannon building. And this fall, we're looking at starting um, to do some programming, partnering with different areas around LCC and um, trying to bring students into that center to be able to enjoy it and um, hopefully get some help. We um, are going to do study hours for students. Any students welcome, whether or not they are a part of the um, program or not. It's just another quiet place that they can come and study, work in a small group if they want. Um, whenever that's open, students are more than welcome to um, come there and study. Yeah, because I know, like, I think in the past, the success coaches used to utilize that space a lot. And I really think it's a nice space. You know, it's quiet, but you could still, you know, do some activities in there. Like if you were an instructor, you want to pair up with academic advising or different yeah. things like that, we could utilize that room. I have been definitely thinking about different ways to host guests in there, you know, our students or different stuff like yes. that. But it is, it's really a great space. So you've been here a lot of your adult life. Pretty, pretty much, much my whole adult life, actually. Yeah, I, right. Like, yeah graduated in 2005 from Holt and did some odd jobs for about two years and then started as a student employee and have never left. Well, tell me, uh, tell me about why you like work here. Like why you never left, left. What keeps you here at LCC? You know, cause I, I find it's funny that a lot of people that I've already interviewed, like they have started as student staff yeah. or if they haven't been student staff, they've been here like 20, 25 years. So there's a draw here. Absolutely. What's it for you? I would say um, I will be honest and didn't think that I was going to stay here at LCC for a career. Mm -hmm. But um, definitely after I moved over to student affairs and got to work more closely with students, I really enjoyed being able to see, and even if it was just one student that I could help like on a drop-in Wednesday register for classes or help them connect with a success coach or somebody, something like that, just to help that one student like brought joy to my life. Mm -hmm. And um, which is not something that I was expecting. I thought I would go into like a business role um, at a private or private business. But um, so I would say that I probably just kind of stumbled upon um, this wonderful work, LCC work that I've had the opportunity to be able to do. And now I get to work even on a closer one on one basis with students and actually see their growth and help them and know like when I have conversations with them and have conversations about how they need help with like childcare and they just are so close to graduating and they just need a little bit of extra assistance to become that nurse or become that um I don't know, uh, accountant, yeah. then um, we, and if I have that opportunity to be able to help them, then that's what help, or that's what makes me happy. And people along my way at LCC helped me become the person I am today. So if I can help even a couple of students become pe whoever they want to be, that's uh, what makes me happy. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a lot of what most of the people here, I find that it's a joy of working with students and seeing that growth. And then just, it's, it's fulfilling. And it's something that will catch you. You know, you think you're going to leave, right, but yeah. you start getting, you know, a, a, a feeling of like purpose. And Absolutely. so I think that that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and I'm glad you're here because you've helped me and changed my life. So, um, 
Tell me about one thing that like one work related thing you want to accomplish in the next year. So going back to that programming that we would that we really are trying to start in the fall, mm-hmm. I think it would be really nice to be able to have students in the center, whether it is study hours or it is meet with an academic advisor and learn about transferring to different programs mm-hmm. or different universities or something like that is um, to really, because the Adult Resource Center used to be the Women Resource Center. Okay. And it cha- the name changed a few years ago. And so now this is the prime opportunity because we have our own space to be able to build that into something that it hasn't been before where it's le- where it's more like a one-on-one basis or a um a cohort or different um opportunities that our returning adult students might not be able to um have had in the past Mm -hmm. giving them that opportunity to um have those resources available and feel comfortable where they know that they're not the only returning adult coming back to school and there's other people just like them to be able to um, relate to and um, like even build relationships with. So um, I think if I could do one thing in the near future, it would be to start something that students that uh, my students who are receiving the grant and even maybe students that don't receive their grant, but are returning adults. So they're in the same boat can have a place where they um, feel like they are welcomed and they're just like every other student that they're sitting next to a good place for them to fellowship together. I could see where that space could be utilized for a lot of different things. And you could bring in, you know, different people from the community that's targeted towards specific groups and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I do. I think that's a, 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 a great idea. And I think that as students are starting to come back to campus, they're going to start looking for those spaces and really, you know, be glad that they have it. And it's nicely done as well. Okay, Ashley, we've talked about work, Ashley. And so now I just want to ask you some, you know, more questions about who you are as a person. And one of my first questions is, who do you admire most in the world? So I would say that my mom's the person that I admire most in the world. And that's because she always pushed me to reach the goals that I wanted to reach. Whatever that goal was, she was standing right there beside me. And sometimes she might have had to push me a little bit more because I wasn't trying to do it. Right. But um, And she always celebrated any accomplishment. I have two other sisters who are younger than me, and she was right there celebrating every accomplishment that all of us have had, whether it was graduating from high school. I have a sister that is finishing her master's program at Grand Valley, and my mom is there all the time. Just whatever it is, she's there to support us, and we know that no matter what, she'll be there for us. And um, now, she was like a strict mom for a minute, (laughs) but she did get better, or our relationship grew into more of a friendship now. And I would say she's probably one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely know your mom supports you 125%. Absolutely. You know, she's there for, I've just seen her and met her and know that, you know, she thinks the world of her children and she will do whatever she got to do for her kids. And, you know, that's a good thing. And I admire that to, you know, to be a fierce mom, right? You're going to make sure that you take and look out for your children. And I definitely 
see that in her. So yes. I think that's a great thing. Um, what are some of your hobbies? So I would say right now, probably my biggest hobby is golf. That's how I met my fiance on the golf course. And we just love to golf together. It's a relaxing Sometimes frustrating, but most of the time a relaxing sport to um, just to get out and be in the nice weather and hit the ball around. I drive the I drive the cart because I'm not walking. I'm not that type of a golfer. <laughs> right. Um, but I definitely um, enjoy golfing. And then we just this past summer bought a jet ski. Oh. And I've always had a jet ski growing up. My grandparents bought one um, for me. Actually, it was a little trick that I did on my grandpa I asked him if I took my boater safety license and would he buy a jet ski and little did he know that I had already signed up for boater safety (laughs) so I was gonna make sure that I had something to ride when uh, the summer came for me to be able to um, use my boater safety license so he said yep and so he bought a jet ski And uh, that was probably about 20 years ago. And now I just had the opportunity to buy my own jet ski. So Dylan and I take it out to um, his parents' house. We go, um, they have a little lake that they live on. And then we go up north um, a lot and drive it on um, our lake, uh, my family cabin. Okay. So I like to be outside in the, when it's nice weather. So I probably already know the answer to this based off of what you just said, but what's your favorite way to spend a day off? So I would definitely say, um, well, sometimes I like to take a little nap, you know, (laughs) like it's nice to take some naps every now and then, but definitely um, with my family, I think, and also um, on the water or on the golf course. We like to travel, too. I spend a lot of time in Florida. My grandparents um, winter down there, okay. so I try to get down there as much as I can to see them because they're um, 81 years old. Yeah. So I like to see them, and, and Florida's a nice place, especially in the winter. Heck, yeah. And for the first time um, this past spring, I went to Arizona, so that was nice okay. to go visit um, my future in-laws. All right. And um, we went to Arizona, California. Las Vegas, and uh, those are places that I have never been before, so that was a different um, type of vacation because I'm used to going down to Florida where it's a little more tropical, and um, Arizona was definitely dry and hot, but (laughs) it was fun. Yeah, I liked Arizona when I went there. I thought, oh, I'm going to move, but I went in February, and it was 80-something degrees, but if you think about June in Arizona, probably hunting, I don't think I I want to do that. Yeah, so... Okay, um, go green or go blue? Oh, I'm 100% a Spartan. Uh, my fiance, though, is a Wolverine fan. So, so far, the Spartans, since we've been together, have came out ahead on all of this game, most of the games, I think. Definitely football and most of the basketball games. But we're pretty cool about um, respecting each other, right? And uh, but definitely I bleed green all the way. That's where my grandparents met was at Michigan State and my grandpa graduated from there. My uncle graduated from there. So um, definitely go green. I shouldn't even had to ask the question because you got on green now. Yeah, so <laughs> I know we are Spartans. I, I agree with that one. Well, I have one more question I want to ask you. Uh, what are you most proud of in, that you've done in the last year? I would say that planning this wedding that will happen almost exactly a year ago from um, when we got engaged and planning it most of the time stress-free. So You're I, not a bridezilla? I'm not a bridezilla. I wanted to make sure that I had a wedding 
And everybody said, oh, I think you should elope. I was like, nope, I'm not waiting until I haven't waited this long not to have a wedding. So I want people to celebrate me. And this past summer, this past Saturday, I had my bridal shower and it was just so amazing. My family came together and everybody helped. Everybody celebrated me. I felt so loved and it was um, amazing. And then so we're pretty counting down the days. We got around 60 days left to until we are um, married. And that for me is a little crazy to think that I'm going to be a married woman. I know. um, That's probably one of the biggest things that I'm proud of this year. Yeah, I know you, you have been um, a happy bride. I wasn't, I was playing when I said bridezilla (laughs) because you've really been real chilled out about this. And it's so, it's an exciting time and you get a chance to, you know, spend the rest of your life with someone that you love and that's a friend and as a protector a nice guy you know I like Dylan I met him I thought he was a great guy and not that you need protecting I don't want nobody (laughs) coming after me about that okay but I'm just saying that I feel like you guys are a good match and I'm I'm so happy for you and I wish you all the best well thank you do you have any closing words for our people Ashley I guess I would say that if you are in need of any funding for tuition or child care grant, look us up at the Adult Resource Center website. And thanks for having me on um, the show, Lisa. Well, thank you, Ashley, for coming on Who's That Star today. We learned about you and your role on campus. We found out great information about the Adult Resource Center and grant students can access. And everybody, I want to tell you guys to take care. I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Who's That Star? I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out who's that star. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Michigan residents aged 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. In history, I learned that I'm trapped. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In English, I learned that I make people sick. And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes In biology, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today... The only thing I didn't learn today... The only thing I didn't learn...
is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Lansing Community College Performing Arts features several events and presentations throughout the year. Find more information by visiting lcc.edu slash showinfo. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hello, I'm Dr. Tanya Bailey, and welcome to Arts, Artists, and Advocates, a podcast-based program designed with you in mind. You can find more content on demand at lccconnect.com. Go ahead, do it today. Arts, Artists, and Advocates is a series of conversations and performances that explores diversity, equity, and inclusion through the arts and activism lens. We're highlighting the work of people on our campus and in our community that's making a difference. Health is the new wealth. It's a term that many are saying all across our nation. After the pandemic, we've seen a rise in health disparities. Well, on today's show, we have an amazing guest that's gonna help us understand why health really is the new wealth. Please help me welcome Melania Brim to Arts, Artists, and Advocates. Welcome. Thank you for having me. The crowd is going wild. I hear that. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. We want to learn who is Ms. Brim. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and how does that influence the work that you do? So I that's a great question, and I kind of ask myself that quite often. <laughs> who um, am I? <laughs> yeah, who am I? Um, so I grew up in Michigan. Nice. And left for a while. Traveled around southern Indiana, Kentucky, northern Kentucky. Came back to Michigan in 1991. Mm. I've spent um, pretty much 50 years in and around healthcare wow. in different capacities. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of my jobs were in the public sector and working with marginalized population. Mm. And so I've kind of carried that forward kind of throughout my career. Nice. I love that. I love that. So in your current position, let our listeners know what you're doing uh, and how does it positively advocate for this community? So I am president and CEO of Michigan Health Council. We are a nonprofit organization located in Okemos. Mm. Uh, Our focus is on building, strengthening and enhancing the capacity of the healthcare workforce. Nice. It is a good, good purpose. Um, You know, I think our mission statement Mm -hmm. um, probably speaks to the commitment that we make to communities across the state. Mm. And that is that every person has access to the right team of healthcare professionals to meet their health needs. I'm going to have you rewind that one more time. I'd be happy to. (laughs) Every person Mm -hmm. has access to the right team of healthcare professionals to meet their health needs. I love it. That says it all. I don't know who came up with that, but brilliantly said. uh, And I know that you're living up to that mission for sure. But talk to our listeners about how does diversity, equity and inclusion, because you know, that's what this show is all about. (laughs) (laughs) How does that align with your mission or what does it really mean to you and why is it important? So I think I'd like to start by maybe coming at it from a personal perspective. Um, So uh, I have a 23 year old daughter Mm -hmm. who four and a half years ago, following back surgery, found herself in a wheelchair for life. 
Um, you know, it was obviously hard for us to accept that our daughter had ended up in one of those um, identity dimensions that we're mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, people, and hers is, of course, people with disabilities. Uh, learning to navigate her way through the system, mm -hmm. uh, through this new paradigm, um, while she discovered that there were lots of opportunities mm -hmm. for people with disabilities, she's also discovered, we've discovered, um, that there are still lots of challenges when it comes to equity mm -hmm. and inclusion. And so I bring that with me every day. I love it. Yeah. So, and then speaking a little bit more to my work, mm -hmm. um, I would start with my belief that healthcare is a right for all. Mm. And through that lens, when I think about DEI, I think it means about having the right people in the right place at the right time, providing the right care to all people. And I believe you're living out that vision <laughs> so clearly. And thank you for being a champion uh, you. for You're your welcome. daughter and so many others. I know that you're a spokesperson for that. Um, I'm going to say a quote to you. We're going to go totally off script. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the quote is this. Uh, Racism is a public health crisis. What does that quote say to you and the work that you do? So I, I think that when you think about racism and public health, mm -hmm. uh, it drives me immediately to health disparities mm. and um, impact. And, I, and I, you know, we, we know some things from research about uh, the impact of, uh, of racism on health outcomes mm -hmm. and health disparities. Mm -hmm. And that's what public health is all about. Wow. Um, and, you know, some of the work that we're doing at the Health Council is designed to address some of the some factors mm -hmm. uh, that you know, have an impact on health equity and health outcomes. It does. Absolutely. Th thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think the pandemic has taught us a lot uh, and has exposed a lot. And I know that with um, the uh, MHC, uh, <laughs> Michigan Health Council, I know that you're not only talking about these issues, but you're also putting things in place. And we're going to we're going to dive into that a little bit in the show. Uh, but first, I want us to play a game. We call it the game called If. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so this game works like this. I'll say a statement that begins with the word if, and you'll fill in the blank or answer the statement. Ready to go? Or are there good prizes? At oh, the there's great prizes. <laughs> okay, Cars, awesome. houses, you name it. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> All right. All here right. we go. If diversity was a car, what would it be and why? She's thinking. <laughs> so um, I'm actually going to default on this one. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, I think that there are um, a lot of stereotypes associated with mm. different cars. She's changing the game. Yes. I am. So, for example, <laughs> the F-150 truck. Okay. Often, you know, white male. Mm. Um, Subaru has been linked at times with lesbians. Yeah. Um, energy efficient electric cars are energy, you know, conservers, typically liberal. Mm. So I think, you know, we all identify with our cars. Yeah. And so to say that there is a car that is um, versatile enough mm -hmm. that it cuts across different sectors, I, I couldn't come up with one. You are winning, I promise you. Okay. Our producers are like, what? We've got a whole new perspective to this game. <laughs> I love it. Okay, two more questions okay. and you're doing great. 
if inclusion, and feel free to flip the script on this one too, if inclusion was a dessert, what would that be? A banana split. Oh, all off the cuff. You already knew. Banana split. (laughs) So it's got uh, bananas. It's got multiple kinds of ice cream, maybe Neapolitan, strawberry, Mm -hmm. chocolate, vanilla. Um, (laughs) It's got whipped cream. It's got peanuts. It's got chocolate sauce or butterscotch. It's Mm. got, it includes a whole bunch of stuff. And when you take a bite of it, you try to scoop a little bit of everything. You do. Oh, I love that. Brilliantly said. So next time you come on we're having a banana split right I, i'm all in it's on me okay. <laughs> doing well crowd loves you the crowd loves you right. here's our final question okay. in the game called if if equity was an article of clothing what would it be and why it would be jeans mm. um, everyone can wear them mm-hmm. you can be casual you can be formal mm. um they fit they adjust and fit to you um so everyone can wear them I love that. Give it up, everybody. (laughs) I love it. So no cars, no houses, none of that, but lots of, lots of applause. (laughs) I'll take it. And you got a banana split coming. Awesome. I'll take it. Thank you so much for playing the game. I love the game. Thank you. So in our next segment, I want us to do a little bit more discussion around healthcare careers, diversity, equity, inclusion, and and perhaps the impact of the pandemic on our community as relates to healthcare and more. Uh, Talk to us about what MHC is, and please, I'm doing that on purpose so you can continue to say it for our listeners. How is MHC leading the charge in these areas? As I mentioned earlier, our focus is on improving workforce capacity. And when I talk about capacity, mm-hmm. a lot of people think about it in terms of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to think of it as much broader than that, mm-hmm. um, that in addition to making sure we have enough um, to, to meet the demand, but that we also have um, a workforce that is competent to care for the people they serve. And mm-hmm. you know that cuts across a lot of skills, knowledge, ability to serve their patients well. Mm-hmm. You know, it brings me to things like cultural humility, yes. uh, the ability to communicate effectively with their patients, recognize um, cultural customs mm-hmm. in their care of patients. So really think about it. So some of our programs are, are designed to address kind of multiple dimensions of capacity. Uh, for example, one of them is our mini medical school program. That's mm. for our K to five kids. Um, really, ch- it's about changing the diversity of the pipeline of students uh, to post secondary. Um, so we get to, we we go into schools, typically in communities that we would describe as um, underserved. Okay. Um, bring a program to students mm-hmm. that introduces health careers to them, nice. uh, teaches them a few things about health and wellness, and. In my book, more importantly, trying to um, to build some aspirational thinking in those students. I love that. I love that. So um, Michigan Health Council um, is doing their best to address health inequities, right? They're doing everything they can. Can you describe uh, some additional things that you all are doing to help address health inequities? And particularly, you know, the pandemic um opened up a Pandora's box, you know, that a lot of uh, individuals were not aware of that was happening. So speak to that as well. Sure. Um, so I, I guess I would start by saying that, you know, we one of the things we know from research is that outcomes, uh, health outcomes, um, improve dramatically mm-hmm. when a patient and their provider are very similar. Mm. Same race, same ethnicity, mm. um, same cultural background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And, and when they're not, we have a different set of outcomes mm-hmm. leading to some leading again to health disparities. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that's one thing. So, so that leads us to how, you know, we really have to work on changing the pipeline. Yes. You know, we, that's, you know, and, and that's really a, a K to 12, um, getting more students of color, more mm-hmm. students from different cultures, uh, even gender differences, you know, mm-hmm. nursing is a predominantly female, you know, we need to, you know, so across identity dimensions, we really need to be able to change what the workforce looks like. Um, and again, at the, you know, COVID really helped to do that as well. Um, and that we saw that with those disparities, particularly in communities um, where that's happening. Um, but we also know that our, the, the, when you look at the um, demographics mm-hmm. of our patients and you compare them to the demographics of our workforce, right. there's a gap. And so that's really some of the work we're doing through our nursing diversity team. We're really trying to figure out, you know, how do we help um, close that gap so that the population um, and the workforce looks a little bit more similar because we know that leads to better outcomes. It absolutely does. Thank, thank you for sharing those, those items. Anything you will want to relate uh, MH, MHC, Michigan Health Council, mm-hmm. to the work you're doing around DEI? And you've been mentioning it, yeah. but anything specific around yeah. diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah. So I actually got two programs that I, I think um, address some aspects of that, different factors that, that, ha- that play into it. One of them is certainly um, our work on implicit bias. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but all health professionals licensed in Michigan um, now have to have um, education in implicit bias. And that came out of the governor's task force mm-hmm. on the disparities uh, of COVID, yes. uh, the impact of COVID on, on uh, uh, I forget how it was exactly titled, but out of that was this recommendation that everybody needed to have some training on implicit bias. Absolutely. And so we've rolled that training out um, and making that available uh, to individuals and organizations to help people to really understand, um, you know, our training's a little different too, and we we really want people to understand um, how basic bias, where it comes from, mm. um, and and we talk about across all of the identity dimensions. Um, so um, it touches on race and gender and age and uh, body uh, habitus and mm. or body size, um, disab- people with disabilities, and so we, we want people to really understand their. There are so many ways that we bring our biases, and those biases, as shown in research, Mm -hmm. have an impact on health outcomes. Absolutely. And we understand that the more a patient has more uh, connections with their healthcare provider, feel comfortable, yep. the better health that they'll be. And that means breaking down some of those uh, implicit biases yep. uh, as we go forward. And so thank you uh, for leading the charge yep. with that through through the council. Um, here on the show, we also like to do what I would call a deeper dive, uh, getting comfortable with uncomfortable conversations about race, because we've been talking about it just a little bit today. So I want to ask you personally, what uh, was your first recollection of your racial identity? So I grew up in two communities mm-hmm. that were predominantly white. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever thought about my racial identity mm-hmm. until I went to, started school at MSU. Okay. And um, I found myself uh, meeting people of all varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's when I first realized that uh, uh, I, I was not alone in the world. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- and that was a hard one for me to think about. I, I, I was like, what? Like, I don't really remember thinking about it again until I start, I think started college. Well, you know, we ask that question here on the show often because we want people to have 
uh, an opportunity to share their stories. And, and they've been so vast, so such a variety of different responses to that. Some at the age of four, some, you know, the age of 54, you know, um, I think it's important for us to think about our first recollection of our racial identity, um, because it helps to tell um, not only where we're from, but also the variety of uh, stories and sharing of our differences of where we are and where we're going. So I, I love that. I also um, want to give you an opportunity to talk about um, how diversity, equity, inclusion um, for you, uh, where how you want to leave a mark on the world in DEI, because I know that's near and dear to your heart, having yes. had uh, the opportunity to work with you in, in many different circles. Tell our audience for you, how you want to leave a mark on the world with DEI. Sure. For the last several years, I, I teach a class, one, just one session uh, for a nursing program on mm -hmm. health disparities. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably for five or six years now. Um, and I have in, in that uh, used a quote from Martin Luther King mm -hmm. um, that I love. I mean, I, and, and when you hear it, mm -hmm. I, I will share it with you. It's not one you should love, mm -hmm. but it it says so much, okay. um, and that is uh, that of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Mm. And the first time I used this quote in mm -hmm. my presentation, it was exactly 50 years from the date that he said it. Wow. And I remember looking at the class and saying to them, you do realize that this statement is just as true today mm -hmm. as it was 50 years ago. So in terms of my mark, I would like to think that I've done uh, a small part in moving us further and further away from that quote, quote being true. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. That's one of That's, my favorites. I, I, I use it. that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, as, as you mentioned, uh, we still have to use yeah. it. It, yeah. it still it's rings a, it's true a, it's, today. It's a painful truth. It's, it's a painful yeah. truth. Yeah. Listen, I want folks to know how they could support, get involved uh, with the Michigan Health Council. What would you say to our listeners? What What's happening? What's new projects? How can people get involved and support? Yeah. So one of the things I, I wanted to talk um, uh, along the lines when... Um, in terms of some programming we, we're doing, mm -hmm. um, is also our work on health literacy mm. um, that we're doing currently uh, through a grant funded through the Michigan Health Endowment Fund. And, and we're really focusing on um, trying to change the way that providers communicate with their patients. Mm -hmm. Because we know that oftentimes when they don't commun effect communicate effectively, um, there's misinformation, right. there's miscommunication. And what that ends up leading to is poor health outcomes because the patient didn't understand what they were being told or asked to do. Mm -hmm. um, so we are focused on, on educating the providers about how to recognize and when they may be working with someone who has lower levels of literacy. Mm -hmm. And how can I you know, make sure that they're hearing what I'm saying? And so that's a really important program that we're building out um, and, uh, in that's terms awesome. of some long-term, in, 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 in kind of partnership with the implicit bias. Yeah. Um, so that's really important. Um, so another place that we're trying to do some additional work, as I mentioned, our five uh, K to five program. Mm -hmm. And so now we're trying to work on the middle school, oh. expanding into that, recognizing that um, when you're trying to change the trajectory of the workforce, starting with high school kids is too late. Yeah, the it's earlier the better. The earlier the better. Mm -hmm. So we're trying, we're working on that. In terms of how people can get involved, a um, couple things. Um, certainly, you can go to our website, which mm -hmm. is mhc.org. Very easy. Real simple. Yeah, <laughs> mhc.org. 
there's lots of information out there. Uh, if you're a nurse, mm-hmm. um, you can get involved with the Michigan Nursing Action Coalition. Um, we're currently working on a, a couple things, some health equity projects, mm-hmm. diversity in the workforce, um, and also engaging nurses in board leadership in organizations throughout communities to yes. bring their, their lens uh, to the table. Mm-hmm. If you're a health profession student, you can volunteer to talk with kids as part of our mini medical school, mm. um, and you can just reach out to me. And at, I'll find a way for you to get. Find I'll find a way for you to get involved with <laughs> at us. MHC.org. At MHC.org. <laughs> I absolutely have enjoyed having you here on the program. It has been a, a delight. Uh, I hope that our listeners will will reach out to you and learn more. I hope that there are listeners that are thinking healthcare field might be the yes. way for me to go. <laughs> that, we we would love to have that happen. Absolutely, because there's great individuals like you that is willing to help them come along. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you to everyone uh, for listening and tuning in today to Arts, Artists, and Advocates. Our show today was uniquely entitled Health is the New Wealth. And we're so thankful that you joined us. This has been a podcast broadcast, and we want you to find more information on lccconnect.com. Go ahead and do it today. Arts, Artists, and Advocates is a series of conversations and performances that explore diversity, equity, and inclusion through the arts and activism. We are highlighting the work of those on our campus as well as those in our community that is doing and making a difference. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, This has been Dr. Tanya Bailey, your host, telling you, reminding you that you matter. We'll see you next time. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. Hundreds of thousands of veterans have taken off their uniforms and put them away, carefully packed and safely stowed. But for some veterans, the uniform isn't so easily removed. The emotions experienced while serving continue to weigh on them. Life after service is different. Many veterans find transitioning difficult, and daily life is no longer as enjoyable as it once was. Some feel overwhelmed and lost. But that uncertainty doesn't take away from their strength and courage, nor does it take away from the sense of duty veterans carry with them. The transition from service is different for everyone. If you are a veteran going through a difficult time, or no one who is, the power of one person, one connection, one act of compassion can make a difference. For free 24-7 confidential support, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1, or visit veteranscrisisline.net. 
Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. LCC Connect Voices Vibes Vision Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect Voices Vibes Vision. I'm Paul Schwartz and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. Ah, this morning my daughter was singing um, this song by Fleetwood Mac uh, called Landslide. And now the song is stuck in my head. I guarantee you've heard of it. I took my love and I took it down. I climbed a mountain and I turned around and I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me down. Well, okay, but it's okay. So my kid was singing it with cybersecurity words. It went something like this. I started my computer, but it was locked. And I saw ransomware and it was quickly encrypting till the antivirus stopped the malware. <laughs> well, geez. Uh, obviously, the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So welcome to the Safety Plan Show. Here's the format. I will describe a real-world cyber scam like phishing or malware, identity theft, a Nigerian print scheme, IRS imposter scam, scareware, one of the many, many, many any other cyber scams, and I will then explain why it could happen to you. And finally, I will explain how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the safety plan episodes? First, as a leader, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so you, that you can hopefully grow, learn and grow and become inspired by it. Second, a community knowledgeable on cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or company or local community college more secure. Win, win, and win. So I am Paul Schwartz. I work at Lansing Community College as the Director of Information Security. I coordinate security issues for the college, things like data breach coordination, account compromise investigations, vulnerability scanning of our network, reviewing emails for legitimacy, implementing projects to improve the college security, proactive phishing our employees and training them in on security and many, many other security tasks. I've worked in cybersecurity for 28 years, including 20 years in the Air Force before ending up at Lansing Community College. I drive a vehicle with doors that close with the click of a button, so people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. SM. RT smart. Okay, it's now time for the cyber scarily roundup. Let's focus on today's topic, how to read website addresses. Fish emails usually contain links to websites that contain malware or ask you for your credentials. The links are often hidden behind welcoming text or images, such as a click here button that will encourage you to click on that link. It's very easy to, to make the text say one thing but the link to point somewhere else. Before opening any email link or website link, the first step is to hover your mouse over the image or the link without clicking on it. 
Now this will reveal a pop-up box that will reveal the true website that it will go to. Let's look at two um, you know, website addresses. We call those embedded URLs. A URL stands for Uniform Resource Locator. A URL is nothing more than the address to a given unique resource on the web. In this example I'm gonna talk about, we have two buttons that say click here, but behind them are two different website addresses. Although these two links or these two pictures of click here look exactly the same, one could lead to a legitimate site, say like LCCEDU, while the other one could lead to someplace different. And you know, in my example, it goes to malware.com, so a bad site. And so even though that say the text or the picture looks exactly the same behind it, that, that address, that's where it gets uh, tricky. Okay, so this goes to show you that the text or picture on your computer screen has nothing to do with where that embedded link leads. If it's a phishing email, the visible text or picture will be just part of the scam. It's there to fool you. So ignore it and find the real target of the link. Okay, so now that you've hovered over that picture or that text and it brings up that little pop-up box that gives you the true address of the link, the next step is to be able to tell if it's a legitimate destination web address from a, you know, a fake one using this rule, the second to last dot and first slash rule. Okay, second to last dot and first slash rule. So what this means is when you look at that URL or that web address, ignore anything that comes before the second to last dot in the web address when reading it from right to left from the first slash and ignore whatever comes after that first slash. Uh, in the address. Okay, so let's let's talk through this address. Um, it starts with HTTPS. Now that stands for Hypertext Transfer Protocol. And that's just the communication protocol that goes between your browser and that web server to push up and bring down the website. Now here it is, colon slash slash www.google.com slash search Fleetwood Mac landslide lyrics, which is what I look for to get the lyrics to the Fleetwood Mac song. Okay, so that's the URL. Now the second to last dot would be that dot google.com. So that dot between www and Google, that's the dot. And then the first single slash would be after www.google.com slash and then search Fleetwood Mac so, so, so forth. So that's the demarcation here that we're gonna look for to identify the root domain name. Okay, and that's the real address. Criminals can't modify that root domain name. And that's what comes after the second to last dot, but before the first slash. It is the only part of the website address that scammers can't change. So they could change stuff before and stuff after it, but that root domain name cannot be changed. And so that's the way to establish whether it's legit or not. So in my example, it's google.com. And similarly, the root domain of Walmart is walmart.com and Facebook is facebook.com. And at Lansing Community College, it's lcc.edu. Criminals try to disguise their own scam site as a legitimate one by creating similarly named domains and hoping that it's good enough to fool you. So in my example, instead of google.com, it might be google.com.org or google.co or google.web, hoping to trick you into thinking that you're actually going to google.com. So it's your job to understand which site you're going to. And if you don't know the real site you're going to, what I recommend is going to 
just coincidentally, a search engine like Google.com and searching for the name, say Pepsi. And, and in the search results, it'll show you the legitimate site, which is probably Pepsi.com. And so then you would know, well, when I go to Pepsi every time, it's not Pepsi.web or Pepsi.co or Pepsi.whatever. Um, and so you'll be able to recognize the true root domain and know you're going to legitimate address from a fake one. Say if a fish got sent to you, pretend to be a promotion card from Pepsi, giving you a free case of Pepsi Cola. Uh, but the link says it goes to Pepsi.gov. That would be a red flag to know not to click on that link and potentially get uh, you know malware compromise or account compromise. For criminals, it's not difficult to set up a fake web address. For only a few dollars, anyone can register an unused domain name in a matter of minutes. Merely having a website address that looks like a real company's name is no guarantee at all. If you have any doubt as to the authenticity of a web address, the best course of action is to not open the link by clicking on it in an email, but find the site in a browser through a bookmark or a separate Google search for the real site. If you are unsure of the link, you can scan the link for safety by right-clicking on the link and selecting Copy Hyperlink, and then opening up a browser and going to VirusTotal.com or Hybrid-Analysis.com in that browser, and then paste the link into those for a review. Now, those sites uh, run the URL or that website address through a whole bunch of different antivirus products and a whole bunch of different um, scanning vulnerability type um, analysis and lets you know whether that link is malicious uh, or phishing or suspicious or if it's legitimate. All right. Well, that's a wrap of today's Safety Plan episode. If you have any questions or have been a victim of a cyber scam, tell me about it by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu. Or you can find more info and past episodes of the Safety Plan on the internet at lcc.edu connect. This episode of the Safety Plan was recorded by Paul Schwartz in the TLC Tower in downtown Lansing Community College and produced by Lane Ingram and engineered by Big D Dedalian. I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. So long. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. The NLS Braille and Talking Book Program gives patrons the freedom to read their way, listen to their stories. When I lost my sight, the only thing I had was reading, and it was like therapy to me. NLS has uh, pretty much anything you'd possibly want to read. Just can't recommend it enough. It's a free service. It's amazing how much you can get. I have used every means there is, I think, of getting access to the National Library Service books. If you want to read in electronic braille, you can. If you want to read on your phone, you can. If you want to read in hard print, you can. Everybody can read the way they want to read using this program, and it's a program worth looking into. 
For more information about the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped Library of Congress, visit loc.gov slash thatallmayread or call 1-888-NLS-READ. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.